official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Amen. Amen. How's everyone doing? I'm well. Thank you for asking, Karen. <laughs> I'm going to take, take it that Karen was the ambassador of the rest of you as well. So. so yeah, as Adam mentioned, last week we got started a new series. We're teaching through the book of Daniel. Um, how many of you, it's your favorite series here at Church at the Walls when we take a book and we spend a little bit of more of an extended time together through a book and get to see perhaps a little bit of, of learn, learn about the history, the language, and how that book might apply to our lives. How many of you, that's your favorite type of series here at Church at the Wall? I know I, know I always get uh, excited whenever we get to spend a little bit of a longer time through Scripture and, and um, teaching through a book, so I'm excited that we're in Daniel. We're going to be doing this for the next uh, seven weeks, so it's going to be, I think, eight, eight, or, eight or nine weeks total. And Daniel was written, as Adam introduced last week, Daniel was written in the 6th century, um, and it was written after the first siege on Jerusalem by the Babylonian armies. And so the city, the, the, the temple, have been plundered, and there is a group of people who are taken from Israel into captivity as exiles in Babylon. And the main characters of the book, Daniel and his three friends, who we know probably best by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are a part of this group that are taken into captivity into Babylon. So last week, Adam introduced the book, and he also took us through chapter one, and we're introduced to one of the main themes in the book, in that Daniel and his friends, they display a life that's fueled by hope, so they display a life fueled by hope that sustains their faithfulness in the midst of a difficult context, in the midst of, uh, in the land of their conquerors or the land of their oppressors. And chapter one also introduced us to kind of one of the main tensions in the book in that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're incredibly wise and capable, and they're recruited to serve at a pretty high level in the royal palace of Babylon. But what we see is that they're actually pressured to give up their own uh, like Jewish identity, their own personal identity, and to eat like Babylonians, which would have meant they would have to break the Jewish food laws that were found in the Torah. But they refuse, and we find that in their refusal to take on this identity and to uh, remain faithful to Torah, that their lives are threatened. So this is the tension, but then we see that they find favor before God, and they actually find promotion in uh, the royal palace. And so Daniel and his friends are actually promoted, and they're given greater responsibility um, and greater authority within this foreign entity, within the land of their conquerors. And so this is kind of this, one of the main tensions, main themes we're seeing in 
the book of Daniel. Now, all of this is super fascinating, captivating narrative, but as I've been praying through and reading the book of Daniel over the past few weeks, I've found myself coming to the realization that we're going to really need to, this is going to be a book that we're going to have to wrestle with. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain what I mean. I think we all have this sense and this understanding of the central theme or idea that was introduced last week of, of a desire and a longing for a hope that sustains faithfulness in the midst of a difficult context. How many of you can think of a difficult context in your life or in our world that makes things a bit harder for the rest of us? Anything, right? So I'm gonna, going to guess those of you who did not raise your hands meant to raise your hand because I think all of us can probably think of something in our own life that's a, a, a difficult context. We could all use kind of the, a fresh word of hope and encouragement, right? And yet at the same time, I would also guess that there are many, if not all of us in this room who have never understood and will never understand what it's like uh, for a foreign entity to come into our land and to destroy everything and everyone that we know. And then we find ourselves in the midst of a peculiar context where uh, we are uh, every, every, everything about us has been stripped away, right? So the challenge then for us is we have to do some work in understanding and interpreting the book of Daniel. It'd be kind of like we understand the rules to soccer, but we're given a football to play with, right? And so we come to the book of Daniel with a bit of a disadvantage in that we don't understand and we probably won't understand uh, exactly what this looks like, exactly what this feels like, what this must have been like, not only for Daniel and his friends, but for the people of Israel, not only in this time, but uh, many times throughout history as well, finding themselves uh, in in an oppressed context. So uh, we can relate we, can, we all could use a fresh word of hope, and yet at the same time, our challenge will be to work to understand the context of this book and to also find ourselves in the story, in the narrative, in different ways, which means, yes, a fresh word of hope, but it also means that Daniel will often present us with moments uh, where Daniel will become a cautionary tale or a warning to some of us if, as what happens when we as individuals or as communities set up our lives outside of God's shalom or outside of the way that God intended the world to be ordered? So chapter one uh, introduces one of the main ideas, how to maintain hope while living in the land of your conquerors. Chapter two introduces another big idea that kind of runs parallel with this this main idea that we saw in chapter one. Chapter one, uh, how to live, how to be filled with hope in the midst of a difficult context in the land of your conquerors. Chapter two is uh, the, the main, another main theme of the book of Daniel is this idea of the kingdom of God as the bedrock of that hope. The kingdom of God as the bedrock of that hope. So we're turning to chapter two. Before we do, I'm just going to note, we don't have time to read the entire chapter. To which all God's people said, amen. 
Amen, because it would take probably 12 to 15 minutes, and I know because I timed it, uh, to actually read through the chapter, but it is a riveting narrative. And so uh, before you do anything else this week, even before you grab Abby's amazing discussion questions and grab a friend and talk about them or go to your small group, read Daniel chapter 2. It's riveting. So I'm going to give us a brief summary of the first few verses up to verse 12 here. And we're kind of introduced in a greater way to King Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the Babylonian Empire at the time. And this king, he has a dream, but he can't recall the dream. And this was kind of a bad omen in the ancient Near East to not be able to recall your dream. And so he calls his council together. The text actually says that he calls uh, those who were his council, the con- there were conjurers, magicians, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. So the king calls Dumbledore, Gandalf. Um, you, so you get the point, right? So he calls them all together. He says, he says you, you're going to need to tell me my dream and then interpret my dream for me. So he commands them to do this. What they do is they ask the king, they say, king, you're asking a lot of us right now. Tell us the dream and we'll, tell you, we'll interpret it for you. And this king is not having a good day. And this actually kind of gives us a little insight into the type of king Nebuchadnezzar was. He says, no, tell me the dream and then interpret it. And if you don't, I'm going to kill all of you. And essentially everyone who works with you in this same department. Daniel and his friends of whom were included in this group. And so uh, we understand what it's like to have a leader who has a little bit of a temperament, right? (laughs) But when something goes wrong, it usually just kind of might result in a tweet in the middle of the night. This king, not a a well-thought-out tweet, but this king... This king, heads will roll, right? So this king, no, tell me the dream. They, say, they ask him again, king, please tell us it. And this essentially ends without them telling the king his dream or interpreting it for them. And he sends out a decree that all the wise men of Babylon be killed. So this sets up kind of the rest of chapter two. And so we're going to open up chapter 2 and read uh, verse 12 through 18 together. This is in the NASB. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious because they couldn't tell him and interpret his dream. And he gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, You might know them in Babylon. So we're familiar with their Babylonian names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter so that they might request compassion from God. 
from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So remember last week, Adam was talking about this tension that existed in their promotion. Well, I would say, do you you guys remember that from last week? So essentially Adam was communicating how sometimes God's favor and, and, and what can look like a promotion in your life can actually result in more complexity, more tension, right? This is a great example of it, right? Daniel and his friends are promoted in the king's royal palace and they find themselves in a context where their entire branch, essentially this branch of the government is going to be executed by the king. So talk about tension, complexity, right? (laughs) We shared some stories at our small group this week about the tension and complexity in our own lives, and no one shared a story of how a promotion in their life led to the threat of execution. So this is quite a tension. This is quite a thing uh, for, for Daniel and his friends, a difficult position. Now, I want us to note a few things about Daniel and his friends in this complex, tense, dangerous situation. First, Daniel replies with discretion and discernment. Did anyone catch that as we were reading? He responds with discretion and discernment. Daniel surrenders his life to God, right? I mean, his life literally is depending on a miracle of God right now. So he surrenders his life to God. But notice, when Daniel does so, his light, he's not over-spiritualizing the situation, which is what I love about Daniel, is he responds with discretion and discernment, with wisdom and reason. He asks a reasonable question, right? Did we catch that? He asks, why has the king issued such an urgent decree? He doesn't actually even question the severity of the, the decree, the fact that the king had a bad dream and now he's going to murder his entire council, No, he says, why why is the king issued such an urgent decree? Give me time. But he also responds in faith. So he's responding with reason and he responds with faith as well. He says, it says he goes in to request of the king that, that he would have time to have the dream be made known to him and to interpret the dream for the king. At this point in the narrative, the dream is not known to Daniel. He's going out on faith here right now. And I think this is just an amazing example for us as as people who are followers of Jesus and, and, and what it's like to navigate the faith journey in this world, right? Discretion and discernment and faith, right? We see both. He's not over spiritualizing the situation. He responds with reason, but he also responds with faith. So I think there's a lot of us who could learn a lesson there from Daniel. Second, Daniel surrounds his, himself with good people. He surrounds himself with good people. Notice the first thing that he does after he finds this out, he says, go home and he gathers friends together around them. So this is another plug for small groups at Church of the Wall, right? We just launched our small groups a few weeks ago. You can go to wellchurchvt.com slash small groups. And what we see is Daniel actually had this small inner circle of friends who were covenant friends to him. And the point of this group of people, the point of this type of friendship wasn't that they would have an exclusive clique, 
The point of covenant friendship for Daniel wasn't exclusivity. The point of this type of friendship was that these friends would actually be the source of encouragement. They'd get together, encourage one another, pray for one another, so that they then could live the type of faithful lives that resulted in generosity in the blessing of everyone else around them. That's the type of friends I want in my life. Um, And I think that's the type of friends we should look for and surround ourselves with. It doesn't mean we're looking for exclusivity in those relationships, but those types of relationships that are encouragement and the type of of friendships that send us out where that we're actually able to uh, be strengthened to live faithful lives, generous lives to all of those around us. So we notice that about Daniel. And what do they do? What do they do after that? After he gathers his friends together, they pray. In the midst of tensions and complexity, I often find myself not turning to prayer as kind of my first instinct. And here's what I can learn from that. One, I can get better at that. But I also have learned from that that if that is something I struggle with as a part of the pastoral team here at Church of the Wall, that's something I'm guessing that there's some of us as well who might struggle with that as well. Uh, It's a simple, simple thing. But in the midst of our own tensions, complexities, difficult situations, what would it look like if the first thing we turned to was prayer? What would our lives look like? How would that frame the situations for us? Also, another question we can ask ourselves, and you can write this down if you want, but is, is learning to recognize what are those first things that we do turn to? Because we all have first things that we turn to before prayer. Some of us might be Netflix. Others of us might be ice cream. Some of us might be Netflix and ice cream. Might be gossiping, might be some sort of fun or some sort of adventure, right? But we all have some sort of first thing we turn to. And so what if the first thing we turn to is prayer? And what are those first things that we turn to, can we name them? Can we recognize them? And as soon as we can name it, as soon as we can recognize it, uh, we, we, we then have the power and the strength to, uh, by the Spirit of God, to then move to prayer as we continue to grow in that area, right? So a few things I think we can learn from Daniel uh, that helped him in this tension complexity. Uh, another note about prayer. It's interesting that prayer not only... Uh, and locks this kind of like miracle that Daniel needed, like he was relying on God for this miracle. But more than that, I would say, this prayer helps Daniel root his identity in who God is, in his goodness, and in the hope that, in the plan that God has for Daniel's life. And so prayer helps frame our own identities in the midst of complex situations, even if uh, we don't perhaps get the answer to the prayer that we were looking for. So Daniel prays with his friends, and he he prays with them that God would miraculously reveal the dream to him and his friends. This is what they ask for, and God answers his prayer. Now, before we find out about the dream and the meaning, Daniel offers a psalm or a song of praise to Daniel. How many of you have your Bibles open at verse 19? Does it look like a little, uh, like, kind of poetic break in the formatting there? And that, that's actually good because it's a, it's a psalm. It's a, it's a poem of praise that Daniel offers to God. So 
some of the thespians in the room were like, wow, Daniel is a musical. This is Daniel just breaking out, breaking out in song. Now, this is like a, just a mini side note for us while we're reading our Bibles. This is like a Bible study tip. You ever see a poem or a break in the text like this? It's a hint that the author is trying to communicate to us something important about what's happening. So when we come to a break in the text like this, or when you come to a break while you're reading scripture like this, a poem or something like that, stop, read it, read it again, then read it again, and then read it again, and just see if there's something that jumps out to you about that. So we come to... Daniel's psalm. And we get insight into the dream and the message of chapter 2 before really finding out all about it in Daniel's song of praise. It's kind of like a foreshadowing of what we're going to find out. So, verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He he removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested to you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. You've made known to us the king's matter. So I mentioned in the introduction that chapter 2 introduces us to one of the big ideas of Daniel, which is the kingdom of God as the bedrock of hope that sustains Daniel and his friends' faithfulness in the midst of their difficult context, right? So the kingdom of God is the bedrock of hope. We're starting to get hints of this in Daniel's prayer. But first, uh, could we throw up that actually verse 19 again, where we can see the first line of his prayer, of his psalm, his opening line, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. Notice, before Daniel thanks God for what he's done and what he's doing, he thanks God for who he is. Not only that, he talks about this idea of the name of God. Now, now, in the ancient Near East mind, to know the name was to know the person, was to have a relationship with. In the ancient Near East, to know the name was to be in the presence of. Now, we didn't read this earlier in the book, but there were the the magicians, the sorcerers, the conjurers, the Chaldeans. And it said they declared this to King Nebuchadnezzar when he was asking for the dream to be made known to them and to interpret it for him. Uh, They said this, the thing that the king demands is difficult. Tell me the dream interpret the dream for me. It's difficult. And there is no one else who can declare it to the king except gods. And they say this, whose dwelling is not mortal flesh. Whose dwelling is not mortal flesh. But Daniel has surrendered his life 
to a God whose name he knows. God has chosen to make his dwelling amongst people, amongst people. And he wants to make himself known to us as well. God wants to make himself known to us as well. We're called into the kingdom of God. All of us, we're called into the kingdom of God and to the hope, the same hope that Daniel had here in chapter two. But first, we're called by the king. We get to know his name. It starts with relationship. What, what was the name we sang about? Jesus, right. Y'all are good Sunday school students. When in doubt, preacher asks a question, just Jesus, Jesus. It will sound right, even if it's wrong, right? So he's saying about that. We'll come back to that thought in the conclusion. So verse 24 through 43, we're going to summarize that again a little bit. The king of Babylon has a dream, and it turns out that Daniel is the only one who's able to know the dream and interpret the dream for the king. And it is a weird dream. How many of you have had a weird dream before? Can I tell you a story of a weird dream I've had? Sai says, uh-oh, I heard a yeah. Okay, I'm going to take it then. I'll run with it. This is several years ago. This is how you know it's weird because I still remember it. I sat on the street. I don't know what street it was. And there are some kids playing bas- basketball. I was out there hanging out, just chilling. And these kids were playing basketball, and they had pet rabbits, and they're shooting hoops, and there are these eagles in the sky. But the eagles are definitely eagles, but they're wearing helmets of other animals. So just imagine like panda bear, uh, lion, you know, they, can, they could take them off if they wanted to, but these eagles have these helmets on their head, and they're, they're flying around. And one of the eagles swoops down and takes these little kids' rabbit to eat it. And the kids are, tra- it's a very traumatic experience for them. And I'm kind of the adult on the scene, very upset by this. Like, why would these eagles take these kids' rabbit to eat it? And so I approach the eagle who has just eaten this rabbit. And I said, why did you, why did you eat those kids' rabbit? Like, that was their pet. And the eagle takes its helmet off. It has an eagle head. And I don't know how I knew this, but in the dream, the, rat, the eagle told me that it was, it was Luann. That's my wife. <laughs> and the eagle looked me in the eye and said, because rabbits are delicious to eagles. <laughs> End of scene. So if you are skilled or gifted by God in interpreting dreams, please don't send me an email. You can send it to Adam, adam at wellchurchvt.com. He would love to hear it. And then we've spent the last seven years in therapy. So the king has a strange dream. The king, in the king's dream, there is a statue, and the statue is made up of four different types of metal. And the, the bottom part of the statue is made up of a mixture of porcelain and 
metal as well. And so it's four different types of metal, and it's, it's a symbolic of different kingdoms coming out of Babylon. We're going to find out later. And the head of this statue represents Babylon, this nation that Daniel and his people find himself in the midst of. And what happens in this dream is there's essentially a rock that hurdles out of nowhere and starts to destroy the bottom part of the statue, and eventually the whole statue is destroyed. It's a weird dream. The rock destroys the statue, and the, the rock eventually becomes a huge mountain. So you can go to Daniel 2 and read about it yourself. Uh, but this is the first of many symbolic visions in the book, and it introduces what's a basic storyline of most of the visions in the book of Daniel. It's that Daniel says that this statue represents a train or sequence of human kingdoms uh, following from Babylon, and that these kingdoms, they'll fill God's world with violence. But one day, God's kingdom will come and confront and humble the arrogant kingdoms of this world, and the world will be filled with the healing justice of God's reign and rule, God's reign and rule. So Daniel interprets the dream. And, and, and th- this is where the warning I talked about in my introduction this morning comes into place. Daniel insists that God's kingdom will eventually come, and this fuels the hope for a people in exile. Daniel 2 is trying to cultivate this mindset for a people in, in exile, that where they find themselves now is temporary. These kingdoms, they'll come and go. We understand things that come and go, right? Technology, fashion, iPhone. I mean, as soon as we get the new iPhone, right? There's another one that comes out. And so we're, we're well acquainted with things that come and go. And Daniel's essentially saying and arguing that human history is like this. Kingdoms come, they fill the world with God's violence, they go. Another kingdom starts the cycle all over again. This is the warning. This is the warning to us, I think. Anytime God's people get too comfortable tying their identity to a certain nation or kingdom or political party, watch out. Watch out. That's the warning. That's the way of compromise. When people of God do that, they're locating their identity in something that's temporary, not something, that, something that's a human construction. Now, this is the caveat, right? How humans organize themselves, political systems, how we engage with that intentionally, that's all very important. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm trying to say. So I just want to make that clear. But ultimately, our hope as a people of God is rooted in the kingdom of God that comes and brings judgment and end to evil as God sets up his kingdom. So we have this image of the kingdom of God conquering, and it comes by way of a rock hurtling out of space and smashing the, king, the kingdoms that humans have set up, and it destroys it. Now, this image is a bit unsettling, right? It's kind of a violent image. How many of you can understand that? This idea of the rock smashing the statue to pieces. And it's also important for us to understand that Jesus 
talked about this idea of the kingdom of God perhaps more than any other idea. It was like the central theme of his message, his preaching, and his teaching. And Daniel often use, or Jesus often uses Daniel as source material for his preaching when he was talking about the kingdom of God, and he often directly quoted it. And so we're, we have this violent image, and we also have the person of Jesus. Um, and this was a text that was important to them as well, because they, the Israelites during the time of Jesus were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. So it was just Babylon with a different name, essentially. So this was an important text to them. And there is a historian in the first century by the name of Josephus. How many of you have heard of Josephus before? So Josephus was a Jewish historian in the first century, and he wrote about this group of Jewish, uh, essentially like Jewish people who started a guerrilla war against Rome. And so he records uh, this guerrilla war that they started against Rome, and he cites a passage in the Old Testament prophets that they use was kind of like a rally cry for these freedom fighters or terrorists, depending on which group you're a part of, right? So essentially this passage, Josephus said, was one of the central texts that they used in their guerrilla war against the Roman Empire. Can anyone guess the passage that Josephus names? Daniel chapter 2. And so it's a, guys, this is like a dangerous chapter. Like this chapter has inspired violent, bloody revolution. So what do we, what do we do with this, with this image of the kingdoms of the world being annihilated? As we conclude this morning, I just want to say that's why it's important for us as we come to Daniel to conclude with how Jesus understood Daniel and the kingdom of God. Because as I mentioned, the kingdom of God is Jesus's primary message of his preaching. Uh, he, rode, he rode into Jerusalem in a very kind of public manner, asserting that he was a king. There are many others who are asserting that he was, a, he was king, he was Messiah, right? But when Jesus came, he did none of the things that anyone was expecting of this king, right? This person who is declaring himself the leader of the kingdom of God, right? What did, you, what did he do? He didn't launch a revolt. Jesus healed lots of sick people. He gave sight to the blind, hurting people. He gave them hope. He critiqued religious people. And he said this to his disciples, in John 16, one of the last things he says to his disciples, have peace because I have conquered the world. You've conquered the world, Jesus? Conquered? Right after he says these words, what happens to Jesus? He's beaten, he's flogged, and he's executed by the Roman authorities. He's executed. When did Jesus become king of the world? When does the New Testament record Jesus receiving his crown? When he's being beaten by the Roman soldiers. When does Jesus receive his royal robes? 
when he's being beaten by the Roman soldiers, he's given a scepter. He's lifted up onto his throne. We call it the cross. We call it the cross. And he's given a plaque. He's even giving a plaque that tells the whole world who he is. Who he is. He's king. This plaque says, the way Jesus brought this smashing rock of God's kingdom is a paradox. It was a paradox then. It's also a paradox now. Jesus believed he was bringing that smashing rock vision to its fulfillment by letting himself be smashed by our human kingdoms, by allowing our human kingdoms to smash him. And by doing so, he exposes their evil. He exposes the ridiculous sham of what human kings are all about. Paul writes this about the cross in Colossians chapter 2. He says this of Jesus and the cross and then God's work, what he's doing. Through the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, through Jesus. When Jesus brings God's smashing kingdom to the earth, he allows the violence, selfishness, sin of our human kingdoms to smash him and by doing so exposes their evil, exposes their evil. Evil. In his resurrection is God's verdict and God's victory over human evil. This is the path. This is the path for us as we conclude this morning. Jesus is the path into the kingdom of God. It starts with getting to know this Jesus. It starts with the name, right? It starts with the name, not what God's doing, has done, will do. All that's great. And it's the path that, to hope that sustains faithfulness as we seek to follow him and his ways. If you raise your hand earlier, if you could think of some difficult context situations, could we do so again? Difficult context situations, yeah. The path that we're called to isn't easy. It's a path that often involves some sort of cross, some sort of tension, some sort of complexity, some sort of difficulty, but it's a path that Jesus walks with us. It's a path that Jesus walks with us. It's a path where we already know the verdict, where we're reminded that this situation that we see, maybe it's in our own lives or in the world around us, is temporary, that the verdict and the victory has already been won. It starts with knowing the name. And it's a path that then emboldens us to live the type of lives faithfully, with a hope that sustains that this is temporary, right? It's a path that looks at injustice, brokenness, all that we see wrong with the world and calls us to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God, which is eternal, right? So we're strengthened, we're equipped by this Jesus to then what? Proclaim this good news to others, who might be in captivity and who might not understand 
that their situation is temporary that they find themselves in, to a people that might be longing for, to find a home, the ultimate home with God, their ultimate home with God, right? So proclaiming, it's a, it's a path that encourages us to proclaim and share this good news. It's a path that calls us to look at injustice and work for justice. Because what's temporary, we're actually called to be a part of establishing God's kingdom here on earth. It's a, it's a path that calls us to welcome the stranger and the foreigner in. It's a path that calls us to give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, right? And so we're all called to that. And that is good news, my friends. That is good news. And it starts with knowing the name, but we're all called to this path to be, find our identities rooted in the kingdom of God, which is the bedrock of hope that sustains our own faithfulness in the midst of the complexity. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to have communion together as a church family today. Adam's going to come up, and I'm going to invite the band up right now as well. Um, We're going to sing one last song and share communion together. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you make your dwelling amongst us and that you make your name known to us, the goodness of who you are, and that you come and smash the kingdoms that we set up for ourselves and also that are set up structurally of this world. You expose their evil and you call us into the kingdom of God where uh, your healing, restorative justice takes place through your rule and reign. And so today we submit our lives to you. We're reminded of Jesus as the king, the king who brings the smashing rock to the kingdoms we set up and who also invites us to be participants in the goodness that you are restoring, renewing, and reconciling all things to yourself through this Jesus. Help us to find our identities rooted in the kingdom of God and to be filled with hope that sustains our own faithfulness in the midst of our own complexities, in the midst of the brokenness that we see in the world. Help us to be uh, ambassadors of your kingdom, proclaiming your good news Uh, welcoming the stranger in, working for justice, giving food to the hungry, water to the thirsty. Lord, may your spirit equip us to be ambassadors of your kingdom. May we find our identity in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 